0: On this episode of the Paranormal Post edition of the Photo Chronicles Radio Show, John Olson, author of Stranger Bridgeland series, from his website, John has spent the last 25 years interviewing and documenting first-hand accounts of those who have witnessed all kinds of strange and unusual phenomena in the Western United States. The Stranger Bridgeland series contains first-hand accounts of everything from ghosts, monsters, and hauntings to glitches in the matrix sasquatch and ufos also as a special side note this is the very first podcast that tumblefisk has edited by himself for the fedora chronicles radio show i'm your host eric fisk and thank you for listening john olson is my special guest here on the Fedora chronicles radio shows a paranormal post edition and he is the author of the book beyond stranger bridgeland that's that's the name of your facebook uh group or page right john
1: yes so um that's actually uh, and and beyond stranger bridgeland is book two and I am actually up to book four, which is Stranger U.S., but um, yeah, so uh, Stranger Bridgerland is, is the book series. It's the, it was the first one, and that's what started me all out, so.
0: Well, let's with, start with the beginning of you. Um, who are you, and how do we know you, and, and, and how did you, uh, um, what, what was your upbringing like that brought you to Paranormal?
1: So um, I grew up in the northern part of Utah. Um, it's a little place called Cache Valley, and um, it's a collection of small towns uh, up in northern Utah. I'm right next to the mountains, so the outdoors was a big part of my life growing up. Um, when I uh, I was born and raised in, in a house that was over 100 years old, it was built in 1883. Um, it was in my family for um, many generations before um, I uh, started living there, and it it the house itself actually is what got me started in the paranormal. Um, I I love the outdoors, uh, living where I am, uh, hunting, fishing, hiking, camping was all part of growing up. Just because you know we're out right near some great um, wilderness areas, um, but. Uh, Definitely the house itself and the fact that it was Paranormally active and growing up in that atmosphere is what got me started in the paranormal
0: So the obvious question for me is What's the story with that house?
1: So it's interesting. Um, When I was younger, I remember being around eight years old, probably when uh, maybe between six and eight, when I realized that the my house was different from my my friend's house. Um, There was a lot of footsteps, you know, not connected to somebody. In fact. there's a steep staircase that goes from the main level to the to the second floor, which is where my bedroom, me and my my siblings' bedrooms were. And at any time during the day, you could hear heavy footsteps go up and down the stairs, um, or kids' feet feet running up and down. So as little kids, we actually coined the term. We called it the stair monster, uh, just being little kids and and you know attaching to what we could. And so between that and um, objects moving and disappearing and um, even seeing full apparitions every once in a while. Um, It got me very interested in the paranormal and my parents at the time, because it's a small town that I grew up in, uh, they were really afraid that if we started telling people that our house was haunted that they were gonna think we were all crazy so for a long time I, we weren't even able we weren't even able to tell people or t- you know talk to people outside of our home about you know the strange things that went on and so at that time I kind of... You know, got a hold of anything I could read about the paranormal and um, just learning everything I could. I think that the little local library where I grew up was just ready to give me that um, the Time Life Paranormal series because I just went through that so many times. And um, it wasn't until I got a little older and in high school and some of my friends came over and they would have experiences in the house, and then they would say, you know, what was that? I remember one time, I was upstairs in my room, and I was, uh, I was studying with a friend of mine, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she slams the book she's reading and throws it on the floor, and just looks at me, and I'm, and I remember looking at her and saying, what's, what's the matter? And she goes, what's going on? And I, I didn't understand what she was talking about, and she says, somebody has run up your stairs three times but there's nobody on your stairs and I just kind of chuckled and said oh well you know my house is haunted and after some of my friends figured it out it wasn't long before I was at parties or on double dates or you know out with a bunch of people and somebody would say hey John's house is haunted you know have him tell you some of his stories and and then before long I had people coming to me and telling me their stories and it was at that point by the time I was about 17 or 18 that I started documenting other people's stories and tracking down their stories. And, um, that's how my, you know, the first collection of book, uh, of stories in my first book, which is called stranger Bridgerland came about. It was all local stories, um, from the area. Uh, it's called Bridgerland because it was, um, originally, uh, Explored by Jim Bridger, which was a, a mountain man in the area. So the area is called Bridgerland. So I kind of got the name from there. But that's kind of how I got started, you know, researching and, and talking to people and interviewing people and gathering their stories.
0: The next question that comes to mind is the about the house again, because I'm always fascinated mm-hmm. by people who live in haunted houses and... Mm-hmm. The first part of this question is, what's haunting the house as far as you know? And th- what's the history behind that house?
1: So um, it goes back to, um, if, if, if you know a lot about uh, the history of the West, um, when the railroad was coming through the West, the way that the government paid the railroad to uh, make the railroad, uh, rather than paying them money to do that and connecting, they actually paid them with land. And the area that the house sits on was originally part of that um, sold to the railroad. And then they parceled it off and sold it to um, to settlers that would, you know, make a house and turn it into a farm. Well, originally it was a farmhouse that was built and purchased uh, by a family. And like I said, that was in about 1883 is when it was built. And it was part of a, a big farm. And going back through, um, one of the entities that, that is in the house, uh, we, I just called him the hat man because, um, when I saw him, for example, here's, uh, the first time I remember seeing him. Remember I came home from school, I made myself a sandwich and then I went and plopped down in the front room, getting ready to turn the television on. And, um, uh, Out of the corner of my eye, I saw some movement, and I looked, and here's this guy standing in the doorway to the front room, and he's see-through, but I can tell he has a white shirt and overalls and a wide-brimmed hat, but I can't see facial features, and I watched as he walked across the room and sat in the rocking chair across from me and started rocking back and forth in the chair, and I closed my eyes really tight and counted to 10, and I opened them, and he was gone, but the chair kept rocking. And I remember I jumped out and ran out of the room. Uh, My mother also had seen this tall gentleman with a white shirt and overalls. And, you know, for years we wondered, you know, who is this guy? And when my grandmother passed away – and I grew up about only a block away from my grandparents, who also lived in an old home from from part of uh, my family that had moved here originally with the settlers. And um, she'd passed away, and we were going through and uh, some of her stuff. And I remember looking in an old photo book, a photo album, and I was flipping the pages. And I flipped one of the pages, and I almost fell out of the chair because there is the home that I grew up in with a guy standing there with a white shirt, tall, skinny overalls and a wide brimmed hat and come to find out it was, um, a great, great, great uncle of mine that owned the house back in the twenties. And so I was able to connect that to uh, one of my ancestors that originally lived in the house. So that's definitely one of them that lives there, um, that stays in the house. Um, But whether it's him or one of the other entities that uh, we believe, he's a really big trickster. He loves to play tricks on people in the family. And especially if, for example, that he knows that he can bother you. Um, My oldest son, who spent a lot of time helping grandma and grandpa at their house, um, had an experience. He knew that um, he bothered my son a lot and liked to tease him a lot. Um, One of my favorite stories about my son is my mother had purchased a snowman, and um, it was uh, about four feet tall and made out of um, fabric, and then the base was a sandbag so that you could place it wherever you wanted to. And um, during Christmas time, it was up in the front room, but during uh, the rest of the year, it was in the basement. And my son just never liked that snowman. And it just gave him creepy vibes. Well, one uh, summer, my my dad paid him to paint the hallway in the basement. And there's only one stairway and hallway into the basement. And my son had his ear, earbuds in. He's about 15 years old at the time, and listening to some music. And he just got a creepy feeling. So he stuck his head into the the living room or the main room where, where my parents store stuff in the basement and the snowman is in the corner staring at my son. And so he walks over and he turns the snowman around and it's kind of heavy with the sand sandbag base and just kind of stuck it in the corner like it was in timeout, And my son went back to painting the hallway. And it went about 10 minutes, and he got this creepy feeling over him again, He's my son. And he stuck his head around the corner and looked in. And not only had the snowman turned all the way around, it was about halfway in the room towards him, in the middle of the room. And my son put the paint down and walked upstairs and told Grandpa, he says, I'm, I'm not painting one more thing until the snowman is out of the house. And so my parents ended up putting it on the front porch, and then and eventually getting rid of it. So, um, it's definitely a trickster uh, in the house, and and the more it annoys you, the more it seems to like to play tricks on you.
0: Hence the word poltergeist. Yes, um, because yep, I think noisy ghost. Yep, and that's the the very definition of a uh, of a poltergeist. Whereas is it they tend to focus all of their attention on the one person who is annoyed the most or scared the most. Mm-hmm. And and one of the questions that I also like to ask people who live in haunted houses, as a matter of fact, I, I have a co-worker who wants me to bring my audio equipment over to her house. Or well, let me rephrase that. I've invited myself to go over to her house <laughs> with my audio equipment and wanting to record. Um, I've always wanted to ask her just like I'd like to ask the, the fictional couple in the movie Poltergeist, why do you continue to live in a house that you know is haunted? And what is it about people who like to live in haunted houses like the infamous Stephen King?
1: You know, I know for, for me and my family and growing up in it, um, I, I, I very rarely have I actually been afraid. Um, the time that I did see him, I was definitely afraid. Um, but overall I I, it's never really been a fear thing for me it's kind of been more interesting um living in a haunted house growing up in a haunted house and especially as I got older and and like to interview people and and talk to them I think part of the reason that people came to me and felt comfortable sharing their stories with me is they know that I grew up in that situation and that um I kind of understand and and it's, it's kind of weird. People are like, weren't you afraid to death? Why didn't you clean cleanse the house? Why didn't you do this and that? And and I always tell them that for the most part, we feel like, you know, at some point it was their house, too. And we're kind of just just renting it from them, so to speak. So in a lot of ways, they have as much right to the house as we do. But I know that's really strange for some people to understand. But it's 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 really kind of interesting.
0: And also, if you think that your house is haunted by somebody like a loved one that passed away, Mm -hmm. it'd be kind of hard to imagine evicting grandma or grandpa, even though they're dead. I know it sounds crazy and a little flippant, but Mm -hmm. it's just it's just one of those things, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned that. My my grandparents on my mother's side, my mother is actually from Denmark. She uh, it was an immigrant uh, in the 60s from Denmark and married my dad. On my dad's side, I can trace my ancestry you know, back to some of the first pioneers uh, here in the valley. But um, my grandparents on my mother's side would always come over on, in the summertime and just visit. They would spend a couple months and visit. And um, one thing that I always, we always remembered when my grandpa came, uh, nobody in our house um, drank coffee. Uh, it just wasn't part of you know our our regular thing. So we that smell I always associated with my grandpa. I knew my grandpa was visiting when I woke up in the morning and I could smell coffee. Well. I remember I was about – I think I was 16 when my grandpa passed away, and he passed away in Denmark, and only my mother and dad were able to go to the funeral and say goodbye. And it was interesting because a few years after that, every once in a while, there would be this, this smell that would come in the house of coffee. That you couldn't, you know, it didn't come from anywhere. You didn't know where it was coming from. And we finally were like, well, that's just a sign to us that grandpa is visiting. You know, that's a sign that he used to do. And now we associate it. And somehow that smell of coffee is a sign that grandpa is visiting us and saying hello. And I've I've talked to a lot of people that have similar things with smell or, or something like that, that they associate with a loved one that's passed on. So it can be kind of comforting as well.
0: Like, every once in a while, I will smell cigarettes and coffee. Mm. And um, I don't smoke. Nobody here in the house smokes. But that's what my dad smelled like. My dad smelled like cigarettes oh. and spilled coffee. Right. Right. <laughs> it's it's a weird thing to associate your dad with, I guess. But um, I, I, I know what that's like. I yeah. I know exactly where you're coming from. And it was like, um, they're... I just could not imagine like trying to perform like an exorcism on the house in an effort to try and get rid of that spirit, whatever it is um there's also the sense that people who live close to burial uh, burial grounds or cemeteries have a lot of experiences like that. Do you know if there's anybody on your property who was buried there or
1: You know, um, I don't think that there's anybody buried here, um, as far as I know. Um, But it's one thing that did happen a lot that I found very interesting growing up as a kid. Um, One of the the things that was even even odd, I find, you know, with other people's experiences. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I remember I was playing with my little airplane when I wasn't very old. I was probably five, six years old and I'd been playing with this little metal airplane all day, and I went into the kitchen, and I set it on the counter, and I turned around and got a cup, and got a glass of water, and took a drink, and I turned around to pick up the airplane, and the airplane was gone. But in its place was an old metal cap gun, which I thought was, well, you know, where's my airplane? I looked around, and I picked it up. I picked up the little cap gun, and I took it to my mom, and she looked at it and it was stamped from like the 20s and um and so i played with it for a long time and then it eventually disappeared again and i remember a year later my airplane showed up out of nowhere on the on the counter and also you know in whenever we did anything in the yard we would find remnants of old toys and stuff from the the 20s or you know 30s um and so maybe not any buried bodies, but there's definitely buried artifacts all over that ties uh, the house to whoever is still here, and I find that really fascinating. Just different things disappearing and reappearing, and and that's gone on uh, quite a bit in my whole life when I grew up in the house.
0: Another great question to ask you would be did those lost toys ever show up that the poltergeist took or borrowed?
1: Yeah, um, it, would, it would disappear, and then um, it might be a day later, it might be a year later, and then it would reappear out of nowhere. Um, I remember one story that was very interesting, uh, that I thought was funny was, um, it was Saturday morning and me and my brother went downstairs, uh, to watch morning, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. My mother and my sister were gone. It was just my dad and me and my brother in the house and, and my dad had got a package, um, if anybody you know is older like me you remember you don't you, when you ordered anything it was out of a catalog and he had ordered some new hunting boots he was really excited about and he had opened them up in the package in, in the kitchen above us and he got the laces out and set them next to the boots and turned around to the drawer to get some scissors to to cut everything off of him turned around and his shoelaces were missing the shoes were still there but the shoelaces were missing and he looked on the floor and couldn't see them and he yelled down the stairs for me and my brother to bring back the shoelaces and we just looked at each other like you know we hadn't left the basement and he looked all over the kitchen everywhere could not find those shoelaces. And he yelled at us again to bring him back. He thought we were playing a game and we we said, we have not left the basement. And he finally gave up and, you know, threw the shoes to the side and went outside to do some of the chores uh, to start mowing the lawn. And right there in the front door, uh, by the front door, we had a, a little picnic table and laying, you know, untied and laid out perfectly on the table was my dad's shoelaces. Um, so that's a good example of things missed, going missing and coming back immediately, but um, kind of, again, trickster things of of moving things on you and and uh, it, it's just kind of fascinating.
0: So as I'm looking at my son here, who is... Um, Helping, helping me learn how to run the podcast. Um, I I want you to remember that when you set something down and like (laughs) something's missing, you know, don't blame me and don't blame the cat and don't blame the dogs. It's probably a poltergeist again, because we you have that phenomenon. You everybody has that phenomenon where you set something down and then you turn around and it's gone
1: it is gone yep
0: and it's yep. and and the, you might find it in a room where you haven't been in for hours
1: right exactly yep that that does happen it's it's really fascinating um uh, when when i when i started you know collecting stories and i started talking to people it's 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 spread out through all areas of the paranormal i have in my books i have you know ghost stories of course but i have ufo stories i have bigfoot and cryptid stories i have um, and one of my favorite kind of story that i like to gather is what i call glitches in the matrix and um a lot of stuff like that will will happen where you know things aren't the way people remember or things go missing like that and maybe sometimes you can associate that to a a paranormal or a ghost and sometimes you just can't You, you know it's more of a a bigger thing that something's gone missing or, or something has changed that uh, based on how you remember it, if you know um, the Mandela effect, but more of a personal Mandela effect. Yeah.
0: Like um, Carol and I, my wife, Carol, and I will have a conversation about something that happened recently. And it's amazing how she will remember it one way and I will remember it another way. And right. um, I, I had a conversation with my boss, uh, the shift supervisor at the day job, and mm-hmm. we were um, we remembered this event exactly the opposite way. Like I told him that I need to leave to go to the town plan, board planning meeting to prevent a factory from being built at the end of my road. And the way he heard it is that I have to leave early so I can go to this factory at the bottom of my hill and apply for a job. I, I have no idea why he would think that.
1: Right. Oh, that's interesting. That's funny. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing how you know, and sometimes you can attribute things to memory, and sometimes you absolutely can't. You know, and I think we've all had moments like that where we're just questioning our sanity because you're like, I know that this happened a different way. I know it did. Right. So I find that really fascinating.
0: I like, I thought I told my wife that today I was interviewing John Olson to talk about his paranormal book at one (laughs) o'clock. And it was just like, I don't remember now. And here's the other thing. I mean, do you believe in doppelgangers? Do you believe that ghosts masquerade as people? To cause oh, yeah. trouble.
1: Yeah. Um. Interestingly enough, um, I one thing that this the ghost that lives in my parents' house loves to do is mimic people's voices. Um, and uh, it wasn't it was about a year, maybe two. I can't remember exactly. Um, I came to visit my parents before I went and picked my youngest son up from school, and they weren't there. And I went in and and sat down in the front room and started reading a book. And I heard the back door open and close, and I heard my dad's voice call out that he was home. And I went into the kitchen, and nobody's there, and their car's not there. And this happened two or three times before I was like, you know what, I'm, you're not going to get me again. And, and I just sat down until I heard him come in and walk, you know, into the front room. And he was like, didn't you hear me call out? And I was like, oh, yeah, but I wasn't sure it was you. So, um, that definitely happens. Um, I think that they can mimic, um, uh, people's voices. And, um, I did have, uh, in one of my books, I can't remember exactly which one, uh, a gentleman who was telling me he was a student at Utah state university and he went onto campus there, um, and onto the quad, uh, laid out a blanket so that he could study for one of his finals. And, um, he, he felt somebody stop on, on, the, on the sidewalk and, and was looking at him, and so he just looked up, and he looked directly into his own face. And it was him with his bicycle, the clothes he was wearing. He said the only thing that was different was um, he, he's a big Seattle Seahawks fan, and so he always has a Seattle Seahawks sh- uh, hat with him which he was wearing at the time. Well, this doppelganger was wearing a Seattle Seahawks hat, but the colors were different for some reason. They were a different color combination. And the doppelganger jumped on his bike and took off and he grabbed his bike to try and catch him because he's like, I want to know what's going on. And um, the doppelganger turned a corner. And when he got to the corner, he was gone. Um, But he said that was the strangest thing in the world to look up into your own face and, um, and just how confusing that is. And it seemed like the doppelganger was also just as confused when, uh, when he looked into his face. So I don't think that was necessarily somebody mimicking him. Maybe it was something looking through a portal into another dimension. Who knows? But I was
0: about to ask definitely that yeah. strange. Yeah, I, I um, was because the, there have been people who claim that they have seen me dressed exactly the way i dress i mean as you know um i still wear a 1930s or 40s style fedora and i have since right. um eight, let's just say 83 i guess yeah. and um there are people who say that they have seen me in other parts of the town or in a different town or different parts of the country Uh, or different countries altogether and they say it's it's this it's the same clothes it's the same style of of hat um it's it's me and it's like what am i doing there and and that's a that's a little freaky too the idea Mm -hmm. that like when my wife says oh there's nobody else in the world just like you i'm kind of like i don't know
1: (laughs) maybe not Uh, i know there's a lot of um superstition around it too that it's that it's really bad luck to run into your doppelganger. So who knows? Uh, maybe it's best if some other people keep running into them. So.
0: Uh, yeah. Thank you for dodging the bullet for me. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. Exactly.
0: So, tell me about the UFO okay. experiences that you have been covering.
1: So, um, they range from um, from you know all over the place. Um, a lot of them are, are your standard seeing a UFO um, in the night sky. Uh, or, um, or or you know, different things like that. Two that stand out, well, three um, that stand out to me a lot. Um, one was of a couple that were traveling in a snowstorm from Idaho back to Utah and um, the area they were traveling, um, it was in a heavy snowstorm. And it's just kind of rolling hills and, and you know, small little, um, I guess you'd call them washes or ditches out in the middle of nowhere. And as they come uh, through this snowstorm going slow, uh, right in the middle of one of those washes was a UFO that was hovering in there, almost like it was um, staying in there uh from the storm, which I, I, you know, I have no idea. I'm sure UFOs can make it through snowstorms. All right. But they stopped and watched it for a minute and he really wanted to get out and get a closer look and she wouldn't let him. And they finally, uh, she made him leave. uh, And it was, but, but they had some missing time in that as well. Kind of a time dilation that happened uh, when they saw it At the time, and so that one I found really strange because there was nobody on the road. It was during a heavy snowstorm, uh, round, uh, glowing object, you know, fairly close. Uh, That one is one of my favorite ones. I I like about um, the fact that they had a really close up look um, sighting of this UFO. Um, Two other ones that I find really fascinating is I interviewed a gentleman uh, who. He also lived in Idaho, and at the time, he was in college, and his job was to deliver auto parts, you know, all over from this distribution place, and he got a call, or his boss got a call late one night that said, you know, they really needed one in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and so he – his boss said – it was a Thursday, and his boss said, you know, if you go deliver it tonight, you can have the rest of the week off, and I'll pay you – you know, to to spend the night in Jackson Hole and and give you you know the money that you you know some extra money for food and all this. So he he left, delivered the parts. Um, for those of you that don't know, Jackson Hole, of Wyoming is up in the middle of like the Teton area. There's it's really rugged mountains and. And he, he decided that, uh, he always kept a bedroll in the back of his truck and decided to keep the money for, for spending the night at a hotel and thought he'd just drive as far as he could and then just spend the night in the back of his truck. And he did that. He got to a place that's called Tin cup, um, which is a small, it's a Canyon, uh, between Idaho and, um, Wyoming and put out his bed roll and, and went to sleep. Well, something woke him up in the middle of the night. His truck was shaking and, um, bright light in his truck. And so he got out and about a hundred yards from him was this triangle shaped UFO that was sucking water up through, uh, like a beam from, from this, uh, stream that ran by his camp. And he watched as it was sucking water up and he said all of a sudden the, the light shut off and he, it was close enough. He heard the water that was, that was midstream fall back down into the pond or into the little stream. And then all of a sudden it took off and was gone. And he was just fascinated. He was so close. It got him very interested, obviously in UFOs. Um, but what I really find Amazing about that is I interviewed somebody else who, about uh, 15 years earlier and 80 miles away, had the exact same um, experience. Uh, he was camping, woke up, there was a UFO sucking water out of the um, stream. The only difference was um, the the UFO that he saw was round instead of a instead of a triangular shape. And these two people didn't know each other. They hadn't told anybody these stories except for to me. And so the idea that, you know, that, that corroboration between the two was really fascinating and kind of, for me, solidified the stories, uh, each one of them.
0: Which leads me to the other question that I was about to ask you what is it what is it about Utah that seems to be a a magnet for these stories there's something supernatural about Utah Uh, am, am I wrong
1: no I think I think you're right um it just—it seems like uh, everywhere that I go, especially in Utah. Of course, um, my 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 latest book—I've gathered stories all the way from California and Oregon, all the way back uh, east um, to New York, and and there seems to be a lot of paranormal around. But um, Utah is very paranormally active, um, both with UFOs, with Bigfoot, you know all kinds of things like that um there's an area in central utah that's called the high uintas and if you're if you know uh, about skinwalker ranch it butts up against yep it butts up against the east side of the uinta mountains and the uinta mountains are just a hotbed of um you know you think that the the Skinwalker Ranch has a lot of activity. Well, I I believe it's because it's so close to the Uinta Mountain Basin. Um, I have interviewed people about Bigfoot, about ghosts, about UFOs, there's several missing people. If, I'm sure you're aware of the missing 411 books uh, by David Palidis. Exactly. I always say, yeah. And so there's a lot of missing people that uh, also in that area. There's a cluster, as, as how he refers it to it, in that area. So, um, yeah, it's just fascinating. I love, you know, I love where I live, and I love the fact that it's very paranormally active, and and who knows if it's all connected. Um, you know the ufos bigfoot ghosts um i i was talking to my youngest son um he asked me about uh the um the matrix theory that we're all living in a a simulation you know and we were talking about that and he brought up an interesting point that i love he said well in my video games dad the guys that um that program the video games put Easter eggs in there for everybody to find that are, you know, cool and hidden. He's like, what if ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs are just Easter eggs in a video game that we're playing? And I thought that's a really interesting thought, buddy. I hadn't thought of it that way, but who knows?
0: One of the things that I know as far as, um, being a graphic designer and somebody who used to work in computer animation, um, There are things about like rendering scenes or rendering frames that takes a lot of computing power. Like water is a very difficult thing to render. At least it was something very difficult to render 20 years ago. And mirrored objects were also very um, difficult to render. So, I thought that if we wanted to test and see if whether or not we're living in a matrix, um get a glass box full of mirror Christmas balls and take it to the ocean and look at that and see how that renders <laughs> right <laughs>
1: because if we exactly li- if
0: we lived in a matrix, the computing power that it would take to render that little scene
1: <laughs> and see that if it would be yeah. Yeah, you know, it would be extraordinary, right? Exactly. <laughs> that would be tough.
0: I would like to so. see the computing power that that's that's involved in making this matrix actually work. I'm not su- I'm not sure how I'm not sure if I believe that we are living in any kind of a matrix. Right. I mean, but then there are those moments where weird things happen that is just you you couldn't make this up. It's stranger than fiction. So,
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just you just don't know. I just i i I love all aspects of the paranormal and 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 because of that very very thing it's to me it's a lot like um uh, when you're growing up and and you see magicians and stuff and you you see the wonder of it all and i'm sure even with ufos or, or something there's an explanation out there i'm i'm afraid that when we find it it'll be mundane and ruin the the, the mystique of it, but yet at the same time, you want to know what it is. So. Exactly.
0: It's like yeah. you're watching a terrific movie and you're caught up in the the moment, but you don't want it to end. Yeah. It's that how. Yeah. Um, and also, for me, being interested in the paranormal is, is is like squeezing out a little extra something out of life. Mm-hmm. I, I feel bad for people who have no interest in the paranormal or... Who don't believe that there are ghosts or UFOs or anything out of the ordinary that occurs? It's like the way that the the way they see life is exactly the way life is, and there's nothing more to it than that. They seem to be very bland, dry, and boring people.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I that's exactly how I feel as well. I'm like ah, I remember as a kid you know i love well i still love star wars but i'm telling my uncle about star wars when i saw it and he him looking at me and and saying he can't watch science fiction or anything like that because it's just it's it's impossible and so that i don't want to believe in that and and i don't find any joy in it and i thought ah that would just destroy me if i couldn't find joy in life like that right it would it would be horrible so it's i i completely understand what you're saying.
0: And I i mean, again, I have um, relatives and in-laws uh, who think that not only am I crazy for having a podcast, but I'm crazy <laughs> for having a podcast with people who have paranormal experiences or have written books about paranormal. Do you have that experience? Do you have that? Do you have relationships with people who choose to be difficult because they don't believe in, in the paranormal or the unexplained
1: um, yeah at times I have um, you know met people that that think I'm a little off because of you know my books or because of my beliefs like that and um, you know it's okay I at one point in my life I might have been worried about uh, you know oh no is somebody going to think I'm crazy or you know and and it didn't take me long to realize that you know like we talked about before, I kind of feel bad for them because, you know, they're missing out on something that's just so fascinating in the world. Um, I've also met a lot of people that, um, that maybe, you know, super religious or something. And they're like, Oh, that if it's not perfect, it's of the devil or something like that. And, and I'm like, you know, that's not, that's not the point. That's not, you know, what's going on. And, and I just feel like, you know, they're missing out and, and I can understand if somebody has never had an experience um, and they're skeptical about it. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I kind of don't have time for people who are judgmental of other people, you know, not that I wouldn't be friends with them. I, I right. don't, not bad, but, but yeah, you know, it's, it's just, you know, part of life, I think.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: How,
0: how do you deal with people who are confrontational about the fact that you believe in the paranormal or have you just not had that experience like I have?
1: No, I've, I've, I've had that at times. And, and I just, and I just say, well, you know, it's, it, it's just another point of view. And, you know, I, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I could argue with somebody all day, but <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize that, um, you know, arguing with people, it, it's not going to change their mind. It's not going to change my mind. And, there's so many more things I want to do with my energy in life than, than argue. And I'll just kind of, you know, end it by saying, Oh, you know, you've got your beliefs, I've got mine and that's okay. You know? And, and, and so I just, I'm not going to change their mind and they're not going to change my mind. And, and like I say, what's, what's the use in expending that energy? Time is short. So.
0: (laughs) Which expending energy brings me to the topic of, Writing books. When you write a book, you're really putting yourself out there. You are really, um, it's a, it's an emotional and physical expense. What got you to the point where you had to write a book about this?
1: So I'll I'll tell you, it's very interesting. Um, about seven years ago, um, I went I went through a divorce. And I was in a very low part of my life, um, and I met, uh, I met this woman, and we started dating, and um, fell in love with her, and we got married. And in that process, um, she's like, you know, I, you know, you're trying to tell everything about yourself to, you know, as you're going through the dating process and everything. And I remember explaining to my wife Annie that um, beforehand, I'm like she's like you know what are all these things what are all the papers what you know and I explained to her what I did and that I had all these stories and she's like well what are you going to do with all these stories this was about five years ago and I said I want to write a book someday and she was like you know what you're going to write a book now and she was so supportive and so helpful and just so wonderful I could not have done this without her and and she was the one that turned, you know, my, my my passion of collecting stories into writing them and getting them up and getting them going, and helped me with my first book. And again, being so supportive and everything through through all of the books, she changed my mindset in life a lot. Of, um, you know, you, you got to do it, and and just living a life with somebody who's supportive and helpful had just been amazing to me' it's, it's turned my life around enormously and so that's kind of how I, I actually started with the writing of the books about five years ago and've I've been able to publish one every year since and I'm working on book five now so uh, it just keeps going.
0: which reminds me of the old saying behind every great man there's a there's a great woman right um, you know it's I, I this podcast wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for my wife who says wow that really sucked you can do better <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, and my wife has been great, too, uh, as I go through the stories and helping me, you know, oh, this one would be great. Maybe you should hold off on that one. You know, this one doesn't really exude what you want. You know, maybe you should hold on to that because I, I still have, you know, a ton. I'm, I'm still collecting stories now and, and talking to people. And I still have a bunch of stories from over the past, you know, 20 years. And so she's just been great all around helping me out. Yeah.
0: Does she edit any of your work? Does she ever sit there with you and sit at the computer and 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 try and clean up your writing a little bit or is she just your is she just your biggest fan and she just reads what you write?
1: No, she's actually my first editor. Like I I write it um, and then I pass it on to her, and she does the first editing on it, and then um, I get it to the final editor, so I like to have at least three eyes on it, um, and then I even go back um, a couple years later and look at it and see if I can. I, she's always got a copy on her with a highlighter, so she, she fixes this or that. Oh, I didn't see this before, you know, and we didn't yeah. see this. It's amazing when you're writing that, how much editing and stuff that that helps when you go through, um, when you do different, you know, um, when you fix it about once a year, I like to go through and fix it and, and re-upload it. And just so the little things get changed okay. to, to write. But.
0: Is she also into the paranormal and unexplained?
1: You know, she wasn't. Um, and she hadn't really had very many experiences, um, you know, a few. But um, what was really interesting, kind of a story about her a couple of years ago um, we sold our house and before we could move into our new one we were going to have to stay in an apartment for just a month or uh, three weeks or something and my parents said oh you know don't do that just stay you know upstairs here and save yourself a little bit of money and and everything was in storage anyway so we're like okay and it was the house that i grew up in And my wife was like, you know, I'm a little nervous because of all the stories I've heard. And I said, well, if I say out loud, you know, that not to bother you because you're really afraid of it, I'm sure he'll leave you alone. And I did that. And for two weeks, nothing happened. And we were folding clothes. And she says, you know, we've been here for two weeks and and nothing's happened. And I said, well, that's because you asked Not to, I said, but out loud, teasingly, I was like, but if you want him to tease you, I'm sure the, you know, the stair monster would love to tease you. And, and she kind of hit me and we went on. Well, (laughs) the very next morning I got up early for work and left and she was still laying in bed and she was just about asleep and something climbed into bed and ran their fingers through her hair. And at first she thought it was me and then she's like oh crap john left a while ago for work and she jumped out of bed and heard somebody laughing so that was her first um, her first experience with the stair monster in the house and he did a few other things for the last week that we were there before we left and uh, she's definitely a believer in in the paranormal and the stair monster now after that experience so
0: you don't leave in in that house anymore
1: no i don't my parents still live in that house Um, and so i still visit you know quite a bit um and my dad and my my, it's funny because growing up my parents were very much you know don't talk about this people are going to think we're crazy you know our house isn't haunted but they'll still you know they'll call me all the time and and say oh i had this experience oh this happened the other night and um so it's good to keep up and keep up on it it's uh, kind of cool uh, to still hear stories of the things that happen in the house
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. and i would i i just simply would not want to ever lose touch or touch uh, you know not be able to go back to that house i would like i'd want to be there all the time you know <laughs> right but, right but, yeah uh, you know um so let's 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 talk more about your books and um the first one in general, if if you had to give an elevator pitch to a publisher or when you did your elevator pitch to a publisher, what did you say about your first book?
1: So I said it was a collection of true paranormal stories um, from the Bridgerland area. And again, Bridgerland's part of Northern Utah, a little bit of the Southern Idaho and a little bit into Wyoming. And, um, what, what I like about, or what I, you know, tell people about my stories is that they're firsthand accounts. Um, I always, uh, get my stories directly from the person that it happened to. I interview them, uh, write down everything and, um, write it. I write it in first person as if, you know, they're speaking, but I get the story right from them uh, a lot of times. And I'm sure you've, you've, run into this as well. Somebody will come up to you and they'll say, oh my goodness, this this really scary story happened to my cousin's friend or, you know, my friend's uncle or something like that. And so for a lot of times when I hear that, I – I've got to do a lot of research and I've got to do hunt down somebody because I'm like, ah, this sounds like a really great story. I really want this. So I'll have to hunt that person down so that I can get it from the person that it happened to. Um, so that was kind of my, my big thing is that it's, it's all first person stories from from the people that it happened to.
0: How do you start a conversation with somebody who has a great story And you want to interview them for your book or your publication. Like how do you go about it? And is it, I wonder if it's any different or if it's better than how I go about it.
1: (laughs) So, um, a lot of times now they will contact me through my website and when they're, when they're contacting me through the website, it's a lot easier because I know they want to share their story. Um, if it's somebody that I've had to hunt down or in the past, you know, uh, you know, get their story from them. You know, I'll first introduce myself, I'll tell them my experience, you know, I'll tell them some other people's experiences, and I, I want them to feel comfortable and, and realize that I'm going to do their story with respect, um, and I think that that goes a long ways, that I'm going to take what they're saying seriously. I'm going to, you know, express it the way it really happened, and um, I have a stack of stories, that I have interviewed people, and they still haven't me given me permission yet to, to publish them. And some of them are awesome stories. And so, a lot of times, you know, when a book comes out, I'll contact them again and let them know and, and let them read the book in hopes that they see what I'm doing and, and how I'm doing it, and that they will feel comfortable sharing it. And of course, a lot of them, you know, they're like, can I change my name? And I'm like, of course, you know, we'll keep your anonymity um, in, you know, through the story. And uh, there's still a lot of people that that want their name changed just because, you know, they work and and they're afraid that people are gonna gonna judge them, which uh, is is a sad fact in some places. But um, one thing that's helped me a lot is the fact that you now have television shows and you have podcasts and uh, people out there. Uh, Sharing their stories. And so people don't feel alone so that they can say, you know, I'm not alone. People aren't going to think I'm crazy because, you know, look at how many people have had similar experiences. And so I think it's getting easier. At least it has been for me uh, with people sharing their stories.
0: Right. Because the thing is, is that um, nothing makes success like success. If you have if you have a one successful book or if you have one successful episode of your podcast and you have a little bit of following, people will want to talk to you more. But if you say, hey, I'm thinking about starting a a podcast about the paranormal and I haven't had a, Would you like to be my first (laughs) my first (laughs) victim? I mean, my my first interviewee. That's it's it's really hard. But it's just yeah. getting in touch with people and social media makes it so easy. Like if somebody has a Facebook account or a Twitter, um, it's um, it's a lot easier to just reach out to them and say, hey, your brother has said you had some paranormal experiences. I'd like to interview you on my on my podcast, which it's it's no longer do you have to knock on somebody's door or call right. them up on the phone. It's so much easier because, like, the, at that point, it's like all they have to do is just say, you know what? No, I'm, I'm really not interested. As before, it's like, you know, sometimes, like, a restraining order might be might be appropriate.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So, yep, yep, exactly. No, it is definitely. and Like I said, I started clear back when I was 17, 18, interviewing people and gathering stories. And back then, boy, it was, like you say, it was tough back then because um, – it was a phone call or it was driving to their house or it was hunting them down somehow. And like you say, somebody shows up at your door and says, I heard you saw a UFO. Tell me about it. They're not going to be like, Oh yeah, come in. Let me tell you all about it. You know, but like you say, if it's not your first book and if it's not your first podcast, you you get a little bit more credibility and, and it makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh Do people come up to you and ask you for advice on how do you get started? Or do you just say what I always say? It's like the best way to get started is to just get started.
1: Yeah, I do. I say that. I say, yeah, the best way to get started is just to get started. Um, And there's a lot of people that are like, oh, how do you write a book? And I'm like, you know what? Sit down for me I get the story I sit down and I start writing that's the biggest thing is just start writing and just start doing it because um, it's easy to think about it's hard to 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 get going and, and get plugging away on it so right. uh, like like you say it's it's it takes a lot to get started but once you do I, especially with each one of my books um, sometimes it's hard for me you know, I I go through a cycle of, you know, I finish up the last book, I do some stuff, you know, doing promotion, everything. And then I sit down to start the next book and it's just getting that first story going. Then it's almost like a flood that comes through, which, you know, uh, I'm better at picking which stories to do and going through my, my notes and, and it's, it's kind of great that way. So,
0: yeah. So let's t- talk about your other books that you're working on. I just checked out your website. And, uh, how, how many books do you have in the, in, in the uh, you have four books already. So let's, uh-huh. let's, let's talk about um, uh, book number two, Beyond Stranger Bridger- Bridgerland.
1: Mm-hmm. So my second book, uh, after my first book came out, Again, my first one, which was Stranger Bridgerland, um, was all local stories, stuff that I'd gathered, you know, from, you know, using the foot, going around, talking to people, and and having people come to me. But once my first book came out, and um, I did a few podcasts, and I and I did a few things like that, um, more people started contacting me uh, from from all different places and one thing that I found really great even that started with my first book is um, in my first book um, I have a a black-eyed kid story in there oh yeah and and it was amazing to me how many people either heard me talk about it or read my book and they had never they had had an experience with black eyed kids, but didn't realize that that was a phenomenon. They thought they were all alone in that. And I was amazed at how many people in the, you know, had come to me and even in the second book and said, Oh my gosh, I read your first, or I read your second book. And, and I had an experience with those kids. I had an experience like that. And, um, so it was great to be able to get that out and start, uh, um, Get, getting more stories uh, like that. Um, the, especially the black eyed kids one. Um, I, I find those fascinating because they seem to follow a narrative no matter who it is yeah. uh, that, that runs into them. So, um, I had, I had another one of those stories in, um, beyond stranger Bridgerland. And again, it kind of blossomed out from the area. I had stories from the area, um, because I have so many collected from the air, this area, but then it seemed to blossom out into the Western United States. Uh, I got quite a few stories from different people um, on book two.
0: Is there a paranormal phenomenon that you have not covered yet? Because nobody has told you a story about that, but you're, you're, you really want to. You really want um, to cover
1: yeah, i in the uh, in my newest book, the one that I'm working on right now. Actually, oddly enough, um, I uh, there was a phenomenon that I'd heard about and and I read a lot about, and I was like, oh, I'd love to have a story. It was um, from if you remember Route six six six, in southern United States. Um, I'd seen shows and and read a lot of stories, and I was like, ah, that seems like such a, a scary place. And for a long time, um, I really wanted a, a story from there. But like I said, I I, I need to have first person, and and this uh, I had a lady that contacted me um, who had that experience, and I was just over I was over the moon when she when she contacted me. Um, her, her name's Teresa, and uh, she had an experience. On Route 666, which they've they've changed the name since then um, from 666. It's no longer Route 666, but um, at the time it still was when she had her experience. And um, what was funny is uh, her story. She talks about um, her and her girlfriend who were traveling um, on spring break to go visit her her grandparents or her friend's grandparents in New Mexico, and they ran into uh, a mist. Uh, out in the middle of the desert, that seemed to follow them, and then um, almost attack the car, and a glowing green mist, and which is um, not unheard of in that area as one of the things. There's UFOs, there's ghosts, and then this really strange mist that that seems to appear out there. So that was one that you know I'd been waiting a long time to find somebody who had a story down there, and I finally did. So. Um, That's one that I can check off my box uh, for sure. Um, There are, I I always love, um, because they're very rare um, stories of the fae, um, which are, you know, fairies or whatever. Uh, I love getting those stories, and I have had a few of those. They're very rare, but um, I have interviewed a few people uh, about their stories about them. And um, there's not any story or any you know, aspect of the paranormal that I don't like. Um, But there are definitely ones that, that really pique my interest.
0: So what I would really like to be able to do is allow people to find your books and get connected with you. Where, what's the best way to find you other than my show page? Of course, obviously (laughs) the show page, the show page that I have for this episode is going to have all your links. But for the people awesome. who are listening, who haven't checked out the, the, the podcast or the show page for the podcast, rather, John, where can we find your work and how can we so, find you?
1: So um, I have a website. Um, it's StrangerBridgerland.com. Um, just look up StrangerBridgerland.com and it should come up. Um, I also have an author's page on Amazon. Uh, all of my books are available on Amazon, on Kindle and uh, Softback. I'm in the process of getting all of the books on Audible. Uh, I have two up on Audible right now. I have the first one and um, I believe uh, Stranger West, I believe is the other one that's up. And so, and I'm working diligently to get the other two up. Uh, I've, I've just had a few hiccups and they should be up in the next couple months um, so the, all four books will be on Audible and on Audiobook they can be found there uh, you can contact me through my website again Stranger Bridgeland. Um, I have a, a Facebook page uh, Beyond Stranger Bridgeland, uh, that you can contact me there or my author page on on uh, Facebook which is just John Olson you can contact me there as well and um uh, I, I have on my website, um, hopefully after COVID gets done, um, I'll be doing some speaking engagements and, and talking and doing storytelling and, and there'll be links on there as well on how to, uh, come see me sometime if I'm, when I'm out speaking. Cause I, I love to meet people face to face as well.
0: Yeah, it, absolutely. Uh, my co-host for news of the week, Jay Cousineau and I were planning on going to the MUFON conference uh, if it's going to be if it's going to happen this july and and maybe right. maybe we'll see you there if it maybe. happens maybe maybe yeah
1: if it happens that's the thing i sure hope so i, I hope we're done with all of this or at least at the point where we can we can at least go and meet people again because like i say i love you know I, I love talking to people on online and everything like that it's just nothing like you know looking somebody in the eye and, and and hearing their story so
0: absolutely and as soon as COVID is done and over with you'll be able to hit the road and and, and write some more books
1: yeah. Yep. Get Interview some more people and get out. I love when it's possible to go out and, and actually go to the area where where people tell me the story so I can get the feel of it. Okay. That's always fun as well. Yeah.
0: So. Do you think that there's ever going to be an end in sight? Do you think that there's ever going to be a time when like there's just no more paranormal stories to tell? Or do you think this is just going to go on forever, no matter what happens with Disclosure?
1: You know, I, I hope it goes on forever. I do – just a feeling I have with everything. We might be getting close to disclosure with the, the UFOs. Who knows? Hopefully within my lifetime we'll see that because I know, you know, that the government knows more than they're, they're saying. But uh, I think there will always be paranormal stories out there. I, I really do. Um, it's human nature to seek out the unknown. And so I hope we just keep going.
0: I do too. And – as always, thank you very much, John Olson, for coming on the show. Um, you're, you're just such a great sport to do this. I, I appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks it. for
1: having me on. You do such an awesome job. This is an amazing podcast, so I love doing it. So. I,
0: I appreciate it. And also, um, I tell all of my favorite guests, um, feel free to reach out to me if you have a story, an experience you want to sell, or you have another book that you, you want to share with everybody. Um absolutely drop me a line and let me know that you want to come on and i i will i'll fire up the audio recorder and we'll do another show
1: that'll be awesome I, I would love that when my next book comes out i'll definitely get a hold of you
0: all right i can't wait this has been another paranormal post edition of the fedora chronicles radio show One-on-one interviews with authors and investigators who explore the metaphysical, unexplained phenomenon, and realms of the paranormal. Join us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by simply searching for The Fedora Chronicles on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook after you found it so you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, FedoraChronicle at gmail.com, are great ways to drop us a line with comments and show topic suggestions. We may even read your comment on the air. Those platforms are also great ways to reach us if you would like to come on the podcast to promote your own book, documentary, or other work you have done in the realms of unexplained phenomenon and the paranormal. If you want just the Paranormal Post portion of the Fedora Chronicles, on Facebook, you can find us by going to facebook.com groups slash paranormal post. Please support the show by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Fedora Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what will we will be doing, and for $5 a month, you get all that and a t-shirt or coffee mug of your choice. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme song for the show is Moon Expedition by Olive Music from Premium Beat, which provided the license for this song. The Fedora Chronicles radio show was edited and produced by Harrison Tumblefisk, And a special thank you to our co-founder, Walt Schnabel. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles, 2009 to 2021. All rights reserved. Once again, this is Eric Fisk from The Fedora Chronicles reminding you to keep your chin up and your fedoras on. Thank you for listening.